Welcome to the Explore the Circular Economy podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Seb from the learning team once again here at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And it feels like there are a few aspects of our lives that haven't been touched or transformed over the last few months by the COVID-19 pandemic. But as we in Europe, Asia and Australasia at least emerge from lockdown and face the prospect of economic recession, we're asking, what does all of this mean for the circular economy? And what role can the circular economy play as we rebuild our economies? Joining me to discuss this topic are Tanzi from our editorial team, who plays the role of co-host, and Joss Blario, the Foundation's Executive Lead for Institutions, Governments and Cities. We're going to be talking about building resiliency into our supply chains and food system, as well as early signs that the circular economy is still firmly on the agenda at the highest level. But first, Tanzi opened the conversation by asking Joss, where has the pandemic exposed vulnerabilities in the current economy and way of doing things? Yeah, I think that what we've seen is really the uh, the typical uh, efficiency-driven systems being challenged by the fact that once something is super-optimized, if there's a small disruption, the whole system can actually collapse. So it might be a, a bit dramatic to frame it this way, but the, the fact is that when it comes to availability of parts for uh, medical equipment that's been very stringent when we've seen disruptions in the food system as well you know very uh, hastily implemented lockdowns in cities leading to shortages and the fact that the system relies on centralized production centers of production that are sometimes uh, quite far away they're concentrated as well and they rely on transport and open borders and the fluidity in the system and all of this of course we knew it's not something that comes out of the blue. It's just that this, this, the crisis, because it was very sudden and it took a lot of people by surprise, really uh, brought them to the center stage. So circular economy certainly has a, a lot to offer in that context, but it's also really important to note that that debate and that discussion was pre-existing the crisis. It doesn't come as a revelation. You know, the need for a system reset was established, policymakers and businesses alike had taken it on board, started investing in it. And I think the job now is to say, okay, within the circular economy solutions framework, what are the most relevant, what are the most promising solutions to the crisis that we have at hand? We're going to talk a little bit more in this conversation about building back better or like the, the some of the conversations that are beginning to happen about how... Um, investment in things like the circular economy might be reinvigorated but it's also worth saying there's quite a lot of momentum has been building up already to this point on the circular economy that that's existed before before march i don't know if you want to just say a little bit about some of the things we've already started seeing in terms of energy behind the circular economy transition yeah sure and you know one of the big announcements around circular economy this spring was of course the publication of the European Circular Economy Action Plan, which is actually the second one. And the whole process started in 2012 with the European Resource Efficiency Platform. You know, we're almost coming up to 10 years of building up to that, 10 years of economic rationale, 10 years of businesses and pioneering front runners investing in those solutions, seeing the economic 
attractiveness, seeing that model as a way to bring competitiveness and seeing this model as a way to reignite uh, creativity through design strategies, new business models, etc. So that that conversation was already taking place. And the the fact that the commission published the circular economy action plan in the middle of the pandemic is absolutely only an accident. This all of this was on the menu already. So I, I think it's really important because building on that established logic means that there's less of a um, ambiguity building around, oh, should we put this on a back burner because actually there's a more pressing matter? No, it is the matter. It's at the heart of the transition. So some elements may be more relevant than others, and that's fine. We can find the most uh, adapted ones. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's it's become more relevant than ever. Um, and obviously, we've seen a lot of uh, brittleness in supply chains. I wonder if we can, like, dive a little bit deeper into... Um, circular economy and what solutions it might um, provide to make those supply chains less brittle and support businesses as they transition. Yeah, I think if, if we go back to the example of manufacturing and take the uh, medical equipment as an example, uh, lack of avail- availability of spare parts has been a, a critical point. The fact that uh, some uh, outlets did have the theoretical capacity to repair some of that stuff, remanufacture it and and make it more available. I'm talking about ventilators for one thing. The fact that some products were actually designed in a way that makes them really hard to either refurbish, repair or remanufacture uh, totally hinders the efficiency of the system. And when there's a crucial need for those spare parts, and those spare parts are made on the other side of the world, and there's no way for them to get to the users, then we have a big problem, a life and death question, actually, in in many cases. So the logic of saying, we're going to look at design as a strategy that makes the spare parts available, that makes repurposing easy, that makes shifting one production facility from making one specific product to another one. And we've seen that with the automotive industry. Some companies have started making ventilators because they were flexible, they were adaptive. They had that kind of modern production tool. And of course, that's only one example, but it means also that if you have a whole industry that is built on those principles and that can adapt, it creates value in the long run. You can shift your production. You can really be in tune with the the needs and the constraints of the economy as it evolves. And it means that you're not relying on one product alone. You know, some companies only make one spare part for one type of equipment, you know, and these things are really risky. I mean, in terms of risk, uh, and any financial analysts will look at this and, and completely freak out if you think that your model relies on getting one type of product to one user alone, then of course you're extremely exposed if the efficiency of the system, which is great, by the way, and to go back to your point, Seb, we tend to forget that it's brittle because when it works, it works extremely well. So we get that sense of security as well. But investing in design strategies and production strategies that enable that repurposing, that enables the the second principle of the circular economy to effectively be implemented, which is keeping material and product in the system in order to safeguard, A, the ability of the economy to function, 
and be that resource, uh, that feedstock, keeping it available and high quality means that you also displace the need for new virgin materials and that in turn displays the negative externalities associated with their production. And I guess, I mean, I guess in the, just to, as a reminder to audience in this, throughout this conversation, we're kind of sharing perspectives here. We don't have all the answers. We don't, you know, this isn't, um, this isn't a future gazing exercise. This is just a point of view based on the research we've done historically on circular economy and some of the things that we're beginning to see and some of the conversations we're beginning to have um, now. Um, and with, I guess with that in mind, Josh, my question would be, what are some of the kind of immediate opportunities or obligations even to build a circular economy in the aftermath as we come, as we start to see now serious signs of countries and economies coming out of the kind of lockdown phase of the pandemic? Yeah, well, I think that uh, it's been picked up by, uh, by policymakers and because, of course, the situation means that the role of government is increased because there is a need for rescue packages and big intervention given the scale of the issue. But uh, things around making sure that the, the industry can still work uh, and is able to be adapted and flexible is, is really critical. Uh, making sure you have food systems that are a bit relocalized, that are more focusing on the actual practices and making sure that you have uh, an agricultural system which is decentralized. That means that the access is possible, that you don't necessarily rely on workforce that comes from abroad seasonally, which at the moment it can't happen. So there has been a, a lot of uh, worry around the fact that some uh, of this season's crops is going to be lost simply because there's no one to pick them. So looking at all, all these strategies that mean you have a more uh, adaptive, resilient system at regional, local, municipal level, which doesn't mean that, of course, it's the end of globalization. It's just a different one. It's having those nodes of circularity that build the resilience and still rely on these international exchanges when necessary. But when the international system is challenged, that means that your economy can still continue functioning. And that might be a question of now investing in R&D for the right materials. The circular economy needs circularity-compatible materials as well. And that's an innovation prospect. It can be about looking at the building stock, the existing building stock, and saying there's a need for renovation anyway. Why don't we focus on this? Invest in circular economy strategies for the renovation of the housing stock, which, by the way, of course, de facto is a local activity. You can't offshore that. You can't send the building away to be refurbished somewhere else. So all of these things are, are coming to the... Uh, are rising in prominence and, and they've been picked up on by uh, by policymakers and businesses alike. You now, when you see, for instance, and I'm going back to this example because it, it's probably the best documented one, but that the uh, remanufacturing of medical equipment is a market that is set to grow by 10% each year. I, it, this is staggering. There's a massive economic opportunity, and that logic can be applied to automotive, heavy industry big equipment, but also to electronics. You know, if we have that facility and that capability on our doorstep, if these things can be taken apart, refurbished, recovered, and then properly repurposed or upgraded where the actual users are, that means that you cut some of the risks associated with the uh, global supply chains as well. So it's, a, it's finding the right balance between keeping a, a healthy global economy and making sure that you have more resilience nationally, regionally, locally. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And and you picked up on the food system um, when when you were discussing the different examples there. And I think obviously food has been highlighted as um, a system that you know we we really need to be flexible. We need it to work for people, um, particularly at this time. Um, so I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about that system in particular and how um, circular economy could help to create a more resilient shockproof food system, but also how some strategies that are emerging from the um, pandemic policies like the Farm to Fork initiative in the EU um, and also some business commitments um, that that are kind of coming out of all of this. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's a it's an emotional topic and people are very close to it. And to go back to what Seb was saying, we always also tend to forget sometimes that the efficiency bit as we know it and the, the big uh, decentralized productions, that means that everything's available anytime. We started questioning that as well. And people and a lot of opinion polls, especially in the UK, have shown that actually people have grown more attuned to where the stuff that they eat comes from, how it's been produced and its impact on the ecosystems as well. And it kind of was interesting at the beginning of the lockdown, people marveling at the fact that uh, biodiversity and and nature was coming back to to claim the land in a way. And and it made a lot of people feel really good. But then if, if you couple that with the fact that there's a big worry about the impact of the food we eat has on the environment, you think that there's more, the idea is more uh, palatable to a lot of people. So regenerative agriculture that actually invests in ecosystem health as well, that builds natural capital in line with the third circular economy fundamental principle is really key because if you're going to have food production on your doorstep because it's, it makes more sense, you also want that production close to you to be conducive to a better environment. You don't want necessarily a big industrial farm just in order to have your milk every morning. There's something which is bringing the production and consumption aspect of the system much closer to people's mind. And that resonates with ideas that have been pushed forward. You mentioned the Farm to Folk Initiative, which looks at um, the the rise in percentage of uh, organically farmed land, but also reduction of pesticides. And that was in the pipeline before COVID happened, but it made it even more a center of interest. Suddenly people start feeling passionate about this. And so all all of these things actually, which were really good ideas to begin with, they resonate even more. And, And also regenerative agriculture, by the way, which means that you're going to close those nutrient cycles, that you're not going to have runoffs, you, you're going to use less fertilizers, less water, but also you're able to sequester carbon in the soil. And that's the beauty of all these strategies, that they are conducive to a low carbon economy as well. It's not a question of saying, do we now prioritize COVID recovery at the expense of the fight against climate change, all these strategies are conducive as well. It's a double win. And that's where really the systemic shift is gaining traction because it's not a trade-off. I wanted to move on to a slightly different tack, which is that uh, with governments intervening in the economy more than they usually would, um, suddenly there's huge amounts of government intervention. What 
um, in what ways can policymakers enact on a larger scale? What 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 can they do? And, and also, what does that mean for some of these really big agendas? You alluded to already to it's not about abandoning climate change. That's perhaps a concern that people would say, well, now now we're focused on how do we reignite reignite the economy? How do we bump ourselves out of a recession? And that that might see an abandonment of some of these environmental agendas, the Paris Agreement, European Green Deal, environmental economic agendas. Yeah, thanks for that. That's a lot to unpack. But I, I'd go back to your first point about the, the role of the citizen because it links to something which is very important as well as the role of cities in all this. And it's been obviously rising in importance, cities as a political force, cities as a source of uh, a massive source of GDP globally, and cities as economic powerhouses with creativity and all the interconnectedness of all systems. So actually, they, they provide a really good way into circular economy strategies. And the fact that people have been locked down and remain within the boundaries of their neighborhoods means also that they have felt empowered to take part in repair activities, repair cafes, local food production. All of that movement has been in a way legitimized and people feel that they can express, that they can contribute to the economy. And the inclusiveness that it brings is actually great because it has been felt for a long time that the economy was happening somewhere else. It wasn't part of society or it was presented that way. And that leads to a lot of frustration. But once you turn that around in, and as a city and the C40 has been a brilliant group, you know, leading on climate change and really taking those circular economy ideas to the fore. I was listening yesterday to uh, an address by the uh, mayor of London, uh, quoting circular economy as a key strategy in bringing London to net zero carbon. And, and it really is a revelation for a lot of people within their own cities who have a repair cafe on their doorstep who want to take part in those activities that they can actually contribute creatively to the economy. Now to your second question, the size of the recovery stimulus packages is is staggering and, and it's really important to make sure that the investments will be in line with that economy of the future that a lot of countries again and policymakers have started to put on the table, either through the establishment of national circular economy roadmaps or legislation or commitments to the Paris agenda that hinge on industrial strategy. You know, we see the climate change has always been traditionally and for the right reasons, uh, has always been pitched as an energy generation and consumption issue only. But we've shown in our latest paper with the help of our partners, Material Economics, last September, that actually production and consumption represent 45% of GHG emissions as well. So if your industrial renewal strategy is conducive to low carbon in the first place, then it means that you can take circular economy as a as an argument within your uh, Paris Agreement commitment and include it in those policies. And the integration of all this means that you have a much more powerful, integrated, uh, very clear tool in order to get where you want to get to, which is an economy that thrives in the long term and relies less and less on the consumption of finite resource, including fossil fuels. So there's another question that was uh, in a way contained in, in that first one, Seb, which is recovery packages for certain industries. Do we run to... Uh, save them regardless of how they operate or do we put conditionality uh, um, provisions on the recovery packages as well 
And in certain cases, we've seen states saying, okay, uh, we'll bail out this specific industry, but this comes with a, a need for a commitment to move to either more circular, regenerative, low-carbon uh, practices. So there is a way to shift the system as well through that, uh, that recovery and that, that safety net. Do you think from that point um, of kind of, you know, building these recovery plans that it might actually change how governments and how societies perceive growth in the economy and how how success is perceived? And like, has the pandemic, I guess, changed how all of us think about the economy? Or oh, I know that's such a huge question and, and not like a simple answer, but, you know, it's it's a it's a big period of change. So does that mean we can have bigger changes going forward? Well, I'm not sure I can answer that. Uh, but uh, what's certain is that all of these big shocks tend to put things into perspective. And one way to put the world in perspective is to look at what we value and what values underpin growth as we know it. And I think the, the question has been more made much more relevant, you know, is blind volume-based consumerism actually the way forward you know the question has been put on the table for sure and we've seen that things that we don't have access to and we thought that we would miss massively actually we don't we see the uh, benefits of moving away from certain practices uh, there's definitely a societal reassessment of a few priorities by the same token i think it, it needs to be important it needs to be said as well that a lot of people are, are suffering massively at the hand of the uh, economic impact. It, it's a crisis that has disastrous health, personal uh, consequences, economic consequences. So there's a legitimacy behind the idea of making sure that the economy is propped up really quickly as well. The question is how. So it, it can't be only a, a, a pure uh, academic, intellectual, uh, values based debate, but for sure. Once the economy is picking up, questioning the way it should go, given its constraints and also given the services that it actually gives to the citizens in general, the, the place of business and a lot of businesses and a lot of prominent businesses in our network have been saying this for a long time. We need to reassess the actual place of companies in society and what they can bring in it. And if they don't contribute anything positive, then they should be asking themselves really big questions. And by wanting to contribute, then of course you start to question your practices and you say, what's the impact? Can I make a positive impact? Can I contribute to the re regeneration of ecosystems, to better uh, cities, to uh, better conditions for citizens in general, and products that actually deliver a service uh, and, and are in a way val valorizable that can be invested in the future, etc. Do we give an outlet to create people's creativity? All of these are really big questions that, of course, have been made even more uh, prevalent by the crisis. Now, giving an answer to that is, is obviously impossible. Future will tell. All we can do is show that there is traction, that there is a benefit, and, and that's what we strive for at the foundation. The circular economy had significant momentum before the pandemic, and whilst much of this is still playing out and things are changing very quickly, it really feels like the concept is now more relevant than ever. 
Several people have described this pandemic as being an accelerator of many of the trends that preceded it. We'll be watching closely and commenting on that dynamic throughout the episodes of this podcast. But for now, thanks for tuning in and we look forward to speaking to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's Explore the Circular Economy podcast. Don't forget to share, rate and subscribe.